Left. Right. This episode, How to Think Like a Scientist, was inspired by me coming across an article where the science just didn't quite add up. Now, I'd like to think of myself as a bit of a critical thinker. Not always a critical thinker, but I do like to question fact, figure out what, where it's established from, where it comes from. And I realize that a lot of people don't have full systems for processing information. And if you don't have a system of processing information, new information specifically, you don't really have a solid way, a sound way of thinking. And if it's something you never really thought about, well, now's the time to think about it. So this episode, How to Think Like a Scientist, we break down some ways to think and we, uh, we critique different ways of thinking. And uh, I think you might like this episode. We'll see. Uh, enjoy. This is Sip Talk. Grab a drink and enjoy. <laughs> Cheers. 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 This is Sip Talk, episode 193. Unfortunately, our live title of this podcast is uh, the last episode, but this is the new episode. And today we are talking about the scientific method and how to think like a scientist. Uh, we might be talking a little bit and about also pumpkin. how to spot when people do it badly. <laughs> well, we might be talking about uh, cytoplankton and some zoop. Plankton, something along those lines. Uh, maybe, maybe we'll get, we'll set ourselves straight once we get there. Uh, either way, I just popped on Instagram to make sure we're live, and I saw a nice video Rosh wa- walking his dogs uh, in Central Park, which is nice. Before we went live, we just hit this whole interchange about who's on first and uh, what's, what's his on name second. on second, and uh, et cetera, et cetera. If you guys aren't familiar with this comedy sketch, well, you know, shame on you. Uh, <laughs> so you should watch it. It's like 90 years old and it still holds up. I wonder what year, Raj. Can you let it? Can you just check that video real quick? Let us know what year that that comedy sketch is from. But it is. It's actually something I reference on a, I you know on a, a pretty regular basis. And now I'm realizing that not that many people may actually be familiar with it. So we'll see where that goes. Uh, uh, 1945, Raj says. Ni- 1945. Holy shit. All right. Well, um, I, I think that goes to prove that there are some things that are funny, no matter like that you can do comedy regardless of like, I guess contemporary ideas that like there, um, Laurel and Hardy was like a '30s TV show that was also hilarious, and it was all physical comedy of them just getting into situations, and. It sounds almost more like vaudevillian. Like this almost seems a bit vaudevillian. Too. Laura and Hardy were like non-violent Three Stooges. Interesting. Um, so look, so I got to ask you. Last time, uh, uh, well, let's see. Right, I said Abba Costello performed the classic "Who's on First Baseball sketch, 1945, in the film "The Naughty '90s," first performed as part of their stage act. Uh, I'm not familiar with Laura and Hardy, oddly. Um, so look, I, I got to ask you because last podcast. We were talking about what we were drinking, and you mentioned you were on a diet. So rather than drinking alcohol, you were drinking soda. 
which yeah, <laughs> so a bit counterintuitive for me. Well, when you go calorie for calorie, the soda that I'm drinking weighs in at exactly the same amount of calories as I would have in a beer, but it's I've I've stopped drinking um, for the foreseeable future to see if I can drop some weight and like what the people aren't seeing on the podcast is the beers that I have off the podcast. <laughs> uh, I know typically after the podcast, you I don't know what you drink when, when we don't hang out after the podcast, but for those of you who don't listen, a lot of the a lot of the evenings we end up sticking on the podcast for a little while afterwards and we we consume quite a bit. I know I I do at least. Um, but at that it would point, be everything. I do bourbon, brandy, um, brandy and wine, all sorts of stuff. Well, uh, speaking of the scientific method, uh, calorically, uh, beer and soda are somewhat similar. However, the issue with, with beer is it has alcohol in it, which causes you to drink more and eat more. So um, that's that. Uh, so look, let's you want to you want to follow my uh, my kind of flow chart here. Well, I think and, we should. I'd like to start with how we came up with this topic and maybe read the uh, the thing that you sent me last night that that kind of pushed us in this direction. All right. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll just leave with where I saw this. I saw yesterday a post about how... Uh, where was this post? On Instagram. It was an Instagram story about how 90-plus percent of the plankton in the ocean is is disappearing. So apparently there was a... A test. Somebody measured some water, and and they expected a certain amount of plankton to be in the water. Yet, they found way less than they expected, like roughly what they had predicted a hundred or so years from now. And I didn't read the article, but I did take a screenshot of it with an intention to read the entire commentary and then look up where it came from because that's how my brain works. I said, "Wow, this is alarming. Let me figure out where this came from." Do a little more research. In the meantime, I sent it to you so that we could digest it together. And you went ahead and actually did a little more research on the article that was being referenced in the post that I saw, and you sent an article in response to it. And what did that article say? Um, let me pull it up. Basically, that the article that you were looking at um, – was bad science reporting where the people that wrote the article are drawing the wrong conclusions from too little data. And the short answer is we don't really know. Um, and I, I guess I want to start off with whenever I see science articles that have alarmist headlines, I'm immediately suspicious because I recognize that there's plenty of things that are bad in this world, but when I see an article that comes out and it's worse than my expectations, I have to think, okay, how could things possibly be that bad? And most of the time they aren't. And it really annoys me when I see those because it has the same effect of like the boy who cried wolf, where if someone who well, because then people, the but that's that's what happens is people tune it out just. You know, I don't know if you remember, but during the 70s and 80s, they were talking about how we were just going to, the earth was just going to run out of oil over the next seven or eight years. Well, I think it's worse than that because you have I can some give you people that will tune out, yeah. but you'll also have some people that will look at an article and see 
and see that it makes a ridiculous claim. And then they're like, there's no way that can be true. And it turns out that no, it can't be true. And so they start to assume that any science article that they see is illegitimate. And it makes it so that when there is an article that actually makes a point about something being really bad, and it's well-researched, and it has a rigorous study, and it comes to a really negative conclusion, then it's going to get lumped in with those bad studies. And people are going to say, well, I just can't believe anything that I read, and anything that scientists tell me is motivated by some other set of desires, and they can't be trusted. And so it makes it so that people don't trust science at all because of some of a very small amount of illegitimate studies that get un, undeserved attention. Well, and I think that's what we need to be talking about. What is science, the scientific method, and how to think like a scientist? Because the fact that somebody might not trust science means that they're not thinking scientifically. Because that's not how science works. What where, where do you want to go from here? Um, well, should we start with Should we start with what is science, and then compare it to pseudoscience, and then maybe talk a little about the scientific method? Um, yeah, if you want to talk, well, if you want to kind of set up the difference between science and pseudoscience. So science, I think that's is, an important one. All right, a science is a system. Science is a systematic enterprise that builds and organizes knowledge in the form of testable explanations and predictions about the universe. The earliest say hi to Maria. Hola, Maria. The earliest roots of the history of science can be traced back to ancient Egypt and Mesopotamia around 3,000 to 12,000 BCE. So a systematic enterprise that builds and organizes knowledge in the form of testable exclamation, explanations. Wow. Uh, maybe it's the alcohol. And predictions. So testable explanations and predictions about the universe. And they don't mean the universe like the stars and other planets. They just mean everything. The, the, the yeah, use of the like, word universe there just means everything. So, um, um, yeah, it's, it, 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 I would say that in its most basic form, science is all about I have a question. Can I design a test that will try and answer that question? Okay, I'm going to design that test. I'm going to run the test and then see what I get back and see how that lines up with what I thought at the beginning. But it, it's comparing the results based off of based off of the question. Yep. So the scientific method has five basic steps. One, make an observation. Two, ask a question, basically to prove that observation. Form a hypothesis, a testable explanation. Make a prediction based on that hypothesis, and then test the prediction. And then iterate, use the results to make a new hypothesis or prediction. Um, I'd say designing the test is probably the hardest part. Sure, but versus pseudoscience, which is defined by Google as a collection of beliefs or practices mistakenly regarded on, as being based on the scientific method. So pseudoscience is basically an idea that you're not testing and you're gathering evidence to support that idea without testing the evidence. 
I mean, that test well, can be the a, idea. And, well, you can do tests and and still be in the realm of pseudoscience um, if the tests are poorly designed. Well, and that's that's where we get a bit more into kind of the scientific method. And, and I think the idea of science is that you're looking for answers, and then once you get those answers, you're looking to ask better questions to get better answers. So, so, so let's uh, take my, the, the, the post from yesterday, and let's use that as our case study as to why it's bad science. Well, so let, let me tell you what I was thinking when I heard this. Oh, the, uh, they did a, you know, they're, they're saying the plankton in the ocean is a tenth of what they expected it to be for 2022. And my thought initially was, where did they test this? How much did they test? And, like, what do, what do the tests look like building up until now? So if they just took a 1950s test and they compared it to today, you know, we don't have much supporting evidence leading up to that. Also, you know, it may depend on location. Like maybe, you know, uh, in the hotter areas of the ocean over the summertime, the plankton is deeper. less populated in that area. Maybe deeper, yeah, deeper underwater. Um, because maybe they, they just avoid hot, hot water. Uh, and if they tested in that water over the summertime, the plankton could be have located themselves somewhere else. Uh, um but I, you know, I, I don't know. I didn't. I, but my my thought was, let me look into this study. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Well, so when I read it, you know, I just want to read this whole thing so that people can see what we're talking about and have a, like, and they can have a basis for why this trips some wires for me. So, All right. So a research team has spent two years collecting water samples from across the Atlantic, from Cape Verde to Grenada. And in, in a dire warning states the equatorial Atlantic Ocean is pretty much dead. The scientists from the Global, Global Oceanic Economic Environmental Survey warn that there are only a few years left before the consequences become catastrophically clear when fish, whales, and dolphins become extinct, with grave implications for the planet. In the report, which has not been peer-reviewed yet and must therefore be taken as preliminary data, the researchers state an environmental catastrophe is unfolding. We believe humanity could adapt to global warming and extreme weather. However, it is our view that humanity will not survive the extension of extinction of most marine plants and animals. Given that plankton is the life support system for this, the planet and humanity cannot survive without it, this result is disturbing. It so will let's talk. Oh, sorry. Yeah, okay, so I, 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 no, that's, well, that's I was just say, let's talk about plankton because. If you never took a sixth or seventh grade science class, you may not be familiar with plankton. What plankton is, is effectively the, the, the micronutrients that are either plant-based or animal-based, very small organisms that feed the tiniest. It's basically the start of the food chain. Um, well, whales eat a shitload of plankton, too. Whales, yeah, fair enough. But it is still the smallest of the small animals eat plankton. And it is the base of the food, uh, the food yeah. chain. No, is plankton a plant or an animal? There's two different types of plankton. There's cytoplankton and zooplankton. Am I, okay, am I so cyto would be plant and zoo would be animal. Yeah, yeah. Is that is that? Am I missing something on that? No. Um, next question I have: Does plankton produce oxygen? Ooh, I don't know about that one, but I would think. So let's see. Maybe the these, plant form does. Maybe cytoplankton yeah, does. There's a decent chance that the plant. Yeah. Um, 
But I would think that they must have some type of byproduct. So do you know well, the answer to this? Or you just you're both. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm legitimately asking that one. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, my I guess would be that cytoplankton does produce oxygen. So if cytoplankton dies based. off. Think about, even though like plankton are small, like you could imagine like them kind of being the grass of the ocean. And think about uh, the ocean's about seventy percent of the planet. So if you have like a whole bunch of grass die off, think about how much less oxygen is being produced because the surface area of the ocean is just immense. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, um, it, Rosh, it, it, all right. So Rosh is doing some good work here. He's saying 80% of plankton are plants and he's and are estimated producing an, an estimated 80% of the world's oxygen. So that answers my question and really highlights why they're important because not only are they food they also produce oxygen for us so so let me just i, I just want to uh, get into a little bit more about what is what is science and this is it, it goes back to the root of questioning things right like james and i just had this conversation based off what we hypothesized plankton to be yet had we been proven wrong we we would have uh, allowed that four minute conversation to have no weight. Uh, I think of of a good scientist, akin to a three or four year old in a car seat, and you tell them, you know, they say, hey, you know, we're going to a daycare, and they say, why? And you say, because I have to go to my job, and they say, why? And you say, well, because I have to pay for things like this car and like the house, and they say, why? And you say, well, because we need. Get a house to live in, you know, and, and then we need. Yeah, and five minutes and later, you're going through a full existential crisis. And, and then they say, "Why?" Exactly. And but but that's the idea of science. Now, at a certain level, a lot of those whys have answers already, but the goal is asking why and understanding why. When when you get to a point where you don't understand it, that's when you start testing. Uh, but, yeah, the the problem the, is that you're. On any any chain of the question why, you will eventually run into something that you can't answer. But the method of thought, the scientific method, seeks to explain the physical world. Um, uh, but you know, it may not always explain it. But but it looks to understand existence, causation, relation, and interaction. So it's 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 doing. You you, you may not have. The ability to explain everything, but but that's what we're looking to understand. Well, so I think uh, you know, another th aspect is all scientists are going to have an idea as to how they think something works, and like a good that's scientist, your yeah, but like a, a good scientist will be happy to be proven wrong. I that's the thing that I think a lot of people don't understand is that that's. That's where the mind is of a good scientist. Is is the whole the scientific method is looking to to disprove an idea. The whole idea is is you prove something right by attempting to disprove it. That's how you prove something right. Um, I, I want to you know I was just th this is a comment that I had in here. Uh, you see the Y two K comment. Do you remember Y two K nineteen ninety nine? When they're like, the yeah, world. I remember we wanted to pull a prank that night. <laughs> I don't remember if we did, uh, but the idea we was didn't. The, we didn't actually go through uh, with it. Uh, so hold on, let me, we let, let, me tell, 
let me say the premise because I think I, but the premise was that as the clocks, uh, midnight on December 1999, that all the computers were going to basically implode because they couldn't process, uh, the way that dates the were stored would have been in two digits of like seven twenty two seventy seven, And so when it would change from 1231.99 to 11.2000, it would be 1100, and the computers wouldn't be able to handle that. And realistically, that was something that could have been easily tested by just kind of setting your computer to December 31st, uh, 11.59 p.m., and just kind of letting that play out. But but everybody had these crazy theories about how the electric company was going to shut down and the or know, nuclear the missiles were going to spontaneously yeah. launch. Yeah, it, but but you know, but again, like what was the mechanism? You know, that was that was making that happen. What was our plan on? I knew were we going to reset, the, turn off the power breaker or something? Yeah, we were going to sneak downstairs and cut the main <laughs> breaker to the house right at midnight. <laughs> Are you sure we didn't do this? I feel like this would have been something that we did. No, the problem the problem that we couldn't figure out how to overcome was Getting how we room. were going to explain disappearing at midnight. <laughs> that like, would I mean where James and Justin record, go like pe- like people are counting down ten, nine, eight, and then we just dart out of the room and then all of a sudden the power goes out. We couldn't figure out a way to make it like disconnect the causal relationship between us leaving the room and the power going out. This comes from a couple of guys that put like a, a quarter stick of dynamite in a bonfire at summer camp. <laughs> and yeah, when, we got and away when, with that one. And when it blew up, we had, first off, we put it here was our here was our plan. We put the we put the thing inside we found like a crack in a piece of wood and we put it inside of a piece of wood and then let that piece of wood get thrown on the fire. And then of course it fucking exploded. And then one of the camp and, and like kids were like kids leapt to the ground, like ducked in cover. <laughs> I mean, we were what twelve or something. Yeah, we had to have been a really... so, no, maybe fourteen. I think it's somewhere been about in that five. range, in the like... fourteen to 15, 14 and a half to fifteen range. And uh, and the, the the fucking thing went off. Kids went ducked, and and you know, kids hit, people hit the ground. Not like one, but you yeah, know, it was, was a, a strong firecracker that we jammed into a stick so that you couldn't see it, but the fuse was sticking out. <laughs> So, but the thing went off, and um, one of the camp counselors was like, "It's all right, guys. What happens is water, water gets stuck inside the the walls of the stick, and uh, and it expands rapidly when heated. <laughs> this is yeah. fucking dynamite. And it's just like, this, like people's this ears are even, was was like a hundred times louder than anything you ever heard pop in a fire before. <laughs> it just oh yeah." <laughs> If people download, they watch like YouTube TV or the fireplace on their, yeah, uh, you know, it wasn't no rush. It wasn't dynamite. It was just a powerful firecracker. It was like M80 or something. I think it was along those lines, right? But I I don't even think it was that big because the thing is, like, it's just even a small firecracker is going to be that much louder than everything else. And I don't know how, like, we didn't give ourselves away because you and I were laughing so hard we were crying at the time. (laughs) Yeah, no, we were. all right, so let me ask you a question. You familiar with the Socratic method, Socrates line of questioning? Yeah, philosophy major. How could I not be? Basically, where you ask questions. So, so when you're faced with somebody who's got some some crazy pseudoscience, uh, maybe a flat earther, 
the way to approach that would be, and we're going to get in a second into why you might think like a scientist. But when somebody tells you, hey, you know, the earth is flat, you're like, no, no, obviously the earth is round. And then the Socratic, the Socratic method might be to start asking questions to have them then explain themselves. So somebody tells you the earth is flat, you might say, oh, well, then how will you, would you explain the, the moon? The moon seems round. It seems to go around the earth. And, you know, would you, you think the earth is, you know, how does that work? And then you might say, well, and what about all these other planets that we've seen that are also similarly round? You know, we see the sun and, you know, it kind of warms part of the earth and, and then you know, we spin away from the sun. Um, and, you know, and then you might say, well, what about the map? You know, we have this kind of idea of the globe and it seems to wrap. And how would you explain that? And then daylight versus night. And then, then you might ask, well, how do you think satellites work? Satellites are based on kind of a sphere having gravity. How, so I explain satellites, you know, the uh, satellites being trapped in the Earth's gravitational pull uh, at this equilibrium with escape velocity. How how would you explain satellites? You know, you think they're just hungry? You know the, uh, the simplest way to test this is to see that the Earth is curved is all you need is like a relatively flat horizon. So like the beach is perfect for this. Mm-hmm. Um, and a way to quickly change your elevation so like what you want to do is you want to wait for it to be sunset and you watch the sun go like stand on the beach or at ground level and watch the sun go down and then find a way to get to a higher point so like if you if you're at the beach go to your hotel and just ride the elevator up to like the fifth floor and like the sun that was set when you were at ground level you'll be able to see the sun again now that you're 50 feet up in the air. I'm pretty sure you can do this with just like a 10-foot ladder, but obviously... No, you yeah, you, you, no, you, no, you, no, you totally can. You totally can, but you can run up, you can run up three flights of stairs, and, and as the sun disappears, we see the sun. It's, it's totally testable. Yeah. Um, so, look, can we, can we progress? Just because I want to I I ask these questions or, or make well, these statements. So Jessica Why says, everything is magical to me. Well, you know what? When you think about modern technology, just as an aside, think about all the crazy things that we have that can be that that and the things that they do, and then think about someone from like the 1200s looking at that and tell me that their conclusion wouldn't be that that's magic. Well, I have the video lined up that I that I sent you. I want to play it in a little bit once we get to religion. Okay. Cool? Yeah. Um. The the Neil deGrasse Tyson clip. Yeah, but let, let me yeah, ask this. One of the rare cases Why? where he's not being dismissive. <laughs> no, we we had a conversation about him with Scott and uh and we, we all agreed on this guy. You know, it's it's kinda sad. But you know, we like Neil deGrasse Tyson, so um uh oh I lost we lost our stream here on uh the phone over here. Um hang on just a sec, I gotta take a quick phone call. Go for it. So I'm going to talk about why you would want to think like a scientist. We talked about how to think like, or we talked about we talked about what scientific thinking was a little while ago. I'm going to talk about why you might want to think about thinking like a scientist. And one is you have an actual system to process new information. So information is given to you. What do you do? with that information. So, so my question to you would be, do you 
we have a system for actually processing. You have a system for actually thinking and comprehending new information. Why would you want to think like a scientist? So that you have a way to think about things so that you don't think like an idiot or you don't look like an idiot, worse off. Um, Thinking like a scientist is going to prevent you from just blindly accepting what people tell you, which will protect you from being taken advantage of because you'll be able to think for yourself and instead of letting other people think for you. Well, if you don't have a good system of processing information, you could have a false foundation of reality. And that's what happened when a lot of young people get indoctrinated into religion. Uh, or easily, cults. Or, yeah, or not in young people. Or Some people. voting for Trump. <laughs> uh, um, but being easily misled is a symptom of not having scientific thinking uh, roots. You know, a lot of people get their news from the headlines, rarely seek the source and understand where that came from. Which I think is 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 really important. So you want to talk a little bit about how to think like a scientist? Well, I, I think the first thing is to to question what you are seeing, but and and look at the quality of the sources. So, for example, when when you sent me that post last night, I looked at it and I saw that there was only one scientist named in it. So I did a quick Google search of him, and. The, the guy, so it is a real scientist, it is a real person, um, and he is a marine biologist, but he's a marine biologist whose specialty is in water filtration. So I look at it and I say, yes, you're a scientist, but your, your specialty is not in, like, ocean ecology, it's in water filtration. So maybe you're not the best source for, for interpreting these results. Well, like if we were talking about like how to how to filter water better or like purity of the ocean's water or something, maybe I'd listen to them a little bit more. But if you're talking about ecology, well, there's probably people that are more specialized than you are. Well, let, let's talk about how they generally measure plankton. What you do is you look at a certain amount of liquid and then you count the plankton that you can see. However, there are visible plankton and there are plankton that are microscopic, meaning not visible to the, the naked eye. You need some level of, of optical zoom on that. So we don't know how this guy was also measuring the plankton. He didn't say he was, he was looking at it under a microscope. Yeah, well, so in the article that I sent you where they talk about um, this study and how, how good it is compared to other studies is they say that in, in the article that you referenced, they took 500 samples, which sounds like a lot. But another, uh, another scientist said in the continuous plankton recorder survey, they've got 265,000 samples. <laughs> so and I'm curious how that stacks up to, the, to this. And also... 500 versus 265,000. Exactly. Um... Do you remember being kids and we used to look at uh, pond water and stream water uh, in a in a bucket and then under a microscope? Do you remember doing that? Yep. Hmm. Uh, I think we have a little bit of a delay, so I'm sorry for you guys. You're experiencing our delay. I want to talk well, about the scientific method real quick. 
James, you want to you want to deliver this? Uh, I wanted to talk paragraph? more about like I think we've talked about that a good bit. I want to talk about like some of the red flags of bad science. Well, can, can we hit the scientific method and then we'll cover the religious aspect and then I'm gonna I'll play this video and then we can pull up that PDF. I can share it on the screen. The uh, rough guide to spotting bad science. Yeah, yeah. So you want to hit this paragraph, how to think like a scientist, the scientific method. I'll uh, I'll hit about religion, play the video, and then we can pull up that, that shared PDF. Um, hang on. Because a lot of this we've already said. I no, think well, you, the, can, you, can re you can mention it again. And it's just, it's systematically testing your assumptions. And it's... It's not as simple as as soon as you find a result that you like, you just say, I'm done. It's, okay, that was one positive result. Let, let's keep on repeating this test, and let's build consistency of results. So that way, this one positive result wasn't a fluke. And it's the same thing for a negative result. It's You want to run the tests over and over and over again and be able to establish a pattern one way or another. And only then can you really start to form some kind of a conclusion. And and then once you have a conclusion, then you can change some of the parameters of the test a little bit to see how things vary. Once, once you've established a baseline, try changing some variables and, and see what effect those have. But also the goal is to disprove the conclusion. So you're, you're attempting to disprove your conclusion. And when you cannot disprove it from every angle, or as many conceivable angles as, as there are, then your conclusion holds some water. Yeah, um, and it's, never, it, it's, it's rare that you're going to be able to say, this is fact. It's, well, but I think, I think but even at the, at the utmost scientific pinnacle, you hold fact as temporary fact. This is what we believe now until it can then be disproven. It's 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 really hard for for me to think of anything in science that is held as a straight up fact. Um, I think about anything in the world, yeah. <laughs> science because science aside, yeah, science I'm thinking, is the world. In in terms of science, there's like I'm thinking conservation of energy is one. That might be about it. Let's let me talk about religion real quick because you're you're delving it you're you're leaning on the r religious kind of arm of this certain things that can't be explained. So let's talk real quick about religion. Um, there are some scientists who are religious, uh, according to Neil deGrasse Tyson, roughly forty percent. Uh, however, the majority of religious people embrace a lot of the majority of science. Uh, True. Now, now, you, you typically don't see scientists outside of churches. However, you see religious people outside of science labs, outside of schools and uh, centers that create curriculums, and outside of labs. You see a lot more religious people protesting science than you see scientists protesting religion. Uh, now, I want to share a a video uh, from Neil deGrasse Tyson talking about religion, um, providing it loads. We got. It looks like we got yeah, a little bit of Yeah, I do think he actually makes some good points in this video. 
Yeah, this video actually is, is whether it was this video or kind of the sentiment from Neil deGrasse Tyson, that was one of the things that kind of got me on board with him as a as a as a dude. So let me uh, let me just share this. You know, getting on board with somebody as a dude is important. <laughs> so uh, let me know when you can see my screen here. Yeah, you're good. All right, cool. Me, so, uh, yeah, so I'm the, the more I look at the rivers, um, just the less convinced I am that there is something benevolent going on. So if you if if your concept of the creator is someone who's all powerful, all good, that's not an uncommon pairing of powers that you might describe to a creator. All powerful and all good. And I look at Disasters that afflict Earth and life on Earth. Volcanoes, hurricanes. I don't think this is the one I was looking at. Disease. Um, click the other one. You've got another tab open. Hold on, let's just hear this. Let's hear him out here. You look at this list of ways that life is made miserable on Earth by natural causes. And I just ask, how do you deal with that? Uh, let, me, let me hit the next one because... Yeah, I'll address actually, what he's talking about there because, um, but this is the video you were looking for. Yeah, this is the one I was looking for. Sorry, I had a couple of them up, but uh, we'll let this load here. And uh, this, this is this is about religion and people leaning on religion for kind of the unknown. I think you must realize that some people are going to your show and they're going to say, those scientists have discovered God because God thought that it. I don't get a little pause. Together. Is that a question? <laughs> it's a statement. You know, you know they're going to so, say So, the history of discovery, particularly cosmic discovery, but discovery in general, scientific discovery, is one where at any given moment there's a frontier. And there tends to be an urge, especially religious people, to assert that across that boundary into the unknown lies the handiwork of God. This show lies. This, over time, has been described by philosophers as the God of the gaps. If if that's how you, if that's where you're going to put your God in this world, then God is an ever-receding pocket of scientific ignorance. If that's how you're going to invoke God, if God is the mystery of the universe, these mysteries, which we're tackling mysteries one by one. If you're going to stay religious at the end of the conversation, God has to be more to you than just where science has yet to trend. So I actually wrote a paper in college on a really similar topic, which was uh, I started with the idea, like, if you go back 2,000 years, like, the Earth was the center of the universe, and that was it. Like, the the sun, yep. we had no yep. idea what it was. We just knew that this it was this warm ball in the sky, and all the stars were just, like, they were just there. But we didn't know what they were, how they came to be, and... As scientific progress moved on, 
we started to go, we moved from the Earth is the center of the universe to the Earth revolves around the sun to there's a there's many other planets so, that are not exactly like the Earth, but there are many other planets that are in our solar system, and then our solar system is just one solar system of many millions or billions or trillions in our galaxy and then our galaxy is just one of billions of galaxies in the universe and so this progression of us becoming smaller and less central to the universe had the effect of pushing a lot of people away from religion because religion said we are the center of the universe and over time people began to accept the overwhelming proof that we weren't and it's kind of like if you have someone that lies to you and you find out about that lie, then you are going to question what they say to you in the future pretty much forever because you're like, this is a known liar. I now I'm going to have to question everything they say to me because it might not be the truth. And so that's what happened with religion. And that's why if you look, if you go back 2000 years, what percentage of people were religious? 99.9%, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. And, and now? And now? And now it's probably somewhere between like 50 and 70%, depending on what... Well, it, actually, it highly varies based on country. But in the United yeah, States, exactly. probably somewhere between 50 and 70%. And the reason for that yeah, but is... We're defining religiousness also. Yeah, obviously, Can there's, I just, there's a hang lot on, of Hold up. Here. Speaking of religion, I just want to show you this beer. See how nice and... This is just the outside. It's not frozen on the inside, but it's nice and look at that. A nice must, uh, must be God. I must be God. God must be blessing my beer with a nice frozen. Yeah, but that my my basic here. theory was: the more we discover, the less we need religion. And there are some fundamental questions that I don't think are answerable. Mm-hmm. So if you ask what's the meaning of life or why are we here, any of those kinds of questions. So you can't answer that with science and religion attempts to answer it. And so people ask me, are you like people ask me all the time if I'm religious and I say no. And they say, oh, so therefore you're an atheist. I say no, because that's also an assertion. I say there's no point like in there's no point in trying to answer a question that cannot be answered. Like if you can't, if you, I, I guess I try to explain people, I'm empiricist, which is if you can give me some definitive proof one way or the other, then it's a question worth asking. But when you're asking something like, what's the meaning of life? I say, there's no point in even asking that question because you can't answer it. There's no way that you can prove an answer correct when it comes to what's the meaning of life. Yeah, I I agree with you. So look, so I'm going to so hit I, this. I, that's uh, why I'm not religious is because I look at religion as trying to answer all of these questions that cannot be answered. And I say, if, if a question can't be answered, it really doesn't have any value. Well, I think what Raj just said makes a lot of sense. The meaning of life is what you make it to be. That's existentialism. Well, exactly. Uh, so let's let's talk about our 15 reasons, our 15 ways of spotting bad science pointed out in 12 bullet points. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> All right. So I think that the um, post from yesterday that you sent me hits a lot hits of these. Number one. Well, actually, yeah, no, no yeah, you're you're right. Um, uh, I think one and maybe two, right off the bat. One, I'll, I'm going to go with you, uh, one. Let's well there. read one. Read one. So one sensationalized headlines. So. I don't know what the headline of your post was. It just says breaking news. But I would say like the first sentence, uh, the, the first paragraph where it says the equatorial Atlantic Ocean is pretty much dead. That's a sensationalized headline. If we were to make that the headline, the, the equatorial Atlantic Ocean is pretty much dead. That's sensationalized. Because yeah. you're just thinking of a scary. large swath I mean, of the ocean. That's sensationalized. It's scary. Yeah. Um, what does dead mean? Well, yeah, but when you say large area and dead, that's sensationalized. Yeah, what are pe people aren't going to read the entire article and then check the facts. They might read a few paragraphs of the article, and and that's them fact-checking. Yeah. Um, so, which, which then brings us to number two. Misinterpreted results. So, you can you can have results, but you can draw the wrong conclusion from them. And so... I would say that the article is less guilty of the misinterpreted results because if you look and you say the plankton is 90% gone, then to say that something is pretty much dead if only 10% is left, I don't think that's a misinterpretation. Like I don't, I I, I think the no, uh, yeah, I agree with you. I yeah, think, I mean, I think it's the, the, the results are wrong, but the yeah. interpretation of the results might not actually be wrong in this one. So. Let's go to the next, number three, conflicts of interest. And this stems from companies hiring other companies to, to do tests for them and to do surveys for them. You see this and, most often in environmental studies and health studies. Yeah, so if I'm a, a giant conglomerate manufacturing company and I'm dumping chemicals into the Hudson River and I hire a company... To, to, to see the health of the Hudson River. And they're like, oh, no, checks out. It's good. Right, because I'm the one paying them. So, like, if I say, <laughs> no, this is a complete disaster, then the, then my, the, my client might say, we're not going to pay you or we're not going to have you continuing to do this study. We don't like your results. So we're going to hire somebody else and pay them millions of dollars instead of you. It's also Just the same the, thing the in con, health. The conflict like... of, but the conflict of being paid by somebody who, whose furthered interests are in line with a certain result, like there, there's a major issue with that. Well, it's like the cigarette companies 50 or 60 years ago had all these studies showing that smoking didn't affect health. They had tons of studies. Mm -hmm. They could say, see, it's, it's, it's fine. In fact, four out of five doctors do it. <laughs> Yeah, that's 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 more than recommend a certain type of uh, toothpaste. Uh, all right, so what what else you got? You got so uh, correlation and causation. This is a good one because just because two things are correlated doesn't mean that they cause each other. Um, so you can look at, for example, um, more people drown when ice cream sales go up so ice cream causes uh, death it, yeah ice cream causes people to drown 
So why do you think they, they obviously they're not correlated? It's like if you see ice cream sales spike, you'd be like, oh boy, we better hire more lifeguards. <laughs> well, obviously, there, there's a correlation, but there's no causation. Right. And the idea is they're correlated because more people are like people are probably more likely to buy ice cream when it's really hot out, and people are also more likely to swim when it's really hot out. And the more yeah, people you swimming, have swimming, some people are going people to drown. Have, have the potential to drown exactly, but the ice cream isn't causing the drowning. The swimming and the is drowning causing isn't causing people to buy the, ice cream. And not so much <laughs> the swimming is causing the drowning. The lack of the ability, the lack of the knowledge of knowing how to swim. It's just if you have a certain risk percentage of people of half of a percent of all people will drown when they go swimming. Well, if you have millions more people swimming, you're going to have a lot more drownings. The drowning rate is the same. You just have more people doing it. Well, that's my shark bite. That's my shark bite analogy. Oh, it's perfectly safe to swim in the ocean. One out of uh, 800 million people get bit by a shark. I'm like, yeah, but 800 million people don't go swimming in the ocean. <laughs> so, well, <laughs> I mean, still, I, I'll get it. You're, you're not very likely to be bitten by sharks. But actually, a whole bunch of people have been bitten by sharks off of, uh, New York City, off of Long Island this summer. So that's a little wild. Let's talk about unsupported conclusions. You want to read that one? Hold on a second. Because so basically a conclusion by a study that isn't supported by any data. No, what's funny is that your your uh, PDF is different than the one that I'm looking at. Well, look at mine then. <laughs> well, unsupported conclusions, I guess we can stick with the ice cream and drowning thing, is like whenever people are, when, when ice cream sales reach a certain point, we need to close public pools. I feel like that has a lot to do with coronavirus. <laughs> Correlatory to coronavirus. Um, but kind of going along the lines of that on my PDF is speculative language, which is close to unsupported conclusions. And I think like the it, it, it might be like anytime they say it might be or it could or something like that, that that's saying, well, I mean, sure, it could be, but what is the could? What percentage chance does that represent? Is is could 80% or 8% or 0.8%? Because, like, Justin, yeah. you could win the lottery tomorrow. I could. You could win the jackpot. Play. You could win Powerball. But I could, yeah. um, in play. Like, a meteor could strike the Earth tomorrow. Um. Mm. And the sun could uh, rise all right. tomorrow. All those things are Let, could, but the vast range of probabilities. Let's talk about sample size real quick. Well, if you've got too small of a sample, then you might not be capturing like a real picture of whatever population you're looking at. And you could be picking, you could just by random chance be picking kind of outliers and, and getting a really incorrect picture as to what you're trying to measure and you so like another like an example of this would be if you were to go to a restaurant in lower manhattan that like wall street wall street bankers go yeah, to high end high end yeah. yeah and you were to ask them how much money do you make every single year and you ask 20 people in the restaurant, 
and you ha- and you come away saying, "Wow, the average person in the in this country the makes a million dollars a year." <laughs> be like, "Well, your sample size was too small, and it was also unrepresentative, which is like which gets us to number seven. Yeah, that, but that's the yeah. Go ahead. Go but ahead. It, it, like, all right, sample size would be too small. You only ask the people that are eating there. If you ask the busboy, how much does he make? Well, now you're not going to be at a million dollars a year anymore. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Hit uh, hit eight. No control group used. So this is like you you always need to have some benchmark against what you're measuring. So what happens if we do nothing is an extremely important question in pretty much all of science. I don't think we spend that much time thinking and talking about it during coronavirus because the, the general rhetoric around coronavirus, it was and is we have to do something. But well, and that's, everybody's gotten and or, or will get coronavirus. Well, actually, that's a really good point, is that when you look at coronavirus, I was actually talking with my uncle about this um, two weeks ago, how we're never going to know whether what we did in relation to coronavirus virus was correct, because it was impossible to have a control group. Well, it was possible to have a control group, but that would have basically meant we do nothing and like <laughs> well the, for better in, or for in, worse in the government case, got, said we florida, need to do something about you, this but you got florida and texas to compare that to the, so. there but even still the, the like, sweden and sweden sweden did a little bit but you still had you didn't have a true control group and a true control group means nothing no restrictions no travel restrictions no vaccines no nothing and see what the death rate is there and even the most lax of countries had something in place. Something, but that that the issue is you have a a difficult group to control against. You have a difficult group to compare against. It's like you had limited control groups because you could look at states that locked down hard, and you could look at states like Florida and Texas that opened up early. But the problem is then you also have the problem of unrepresentative samples because. New York City is different than Tallahassee. Oh, because of the infrastructure. But I think control group and placebo are, are synonymous. Not necessarily. Because well, the difference is if you have a control group, it's you're not giving them any medicine. Placebo is you're giving them something they think is medicine, but it isn't. It's just a sugar pill or something. So, number nine... So no blind testing. So the whole idea is to, you always want to do it double blind where the recipients don't know what they're getting and the scientists don't know what they're giving. So I think about like 12 years ago when we did our blind taste test of the whiskeys and like this is what Jim Beam versus Jack Daniels or something. Evan Williams versus Jack Daniels. And yeah. it was impossible for us to do it double blind, but we would we did it blind where I left the room, you poured two shots, and then I had to try them both and see which one I liked, and then you did the same thing. But you still knew what you were pouring. <coughs> However, like we did the the closest we could come to making a double blind is that when I was taking the samples, when I was sipping the shot glass or whatever, you weren't allowed to say anything. You weren't allowed to react to make it 
to make it seem like you had a preference as to one or the other. You just said, here's shot glass A, here's shot glass B. Take a sample, see what you like better. But yeah. there's possibilities where the scientists could treat the recipients differently, not even intentionally, just because if they know that they're giving one person a vaccine that actually has something and another that just has saline solution. Yeah. And so the um, idea is the scientists shouldn't know what's in the in in the syringe before they give it to the the recipients. That's uh, Schrodinger's cat, the observationist effect. Yeah, the a common not misconception really, no. about Schrodinger's <laughs> cat experiment is that he actually yeah. came up with that idea to show that quantum mechanics is completely nonsensical. Not to show how quantum mechanics works, but to show that quantum mechanics makes no sense, man. Because he's like, here's the conclusion. If we take quantum mechanics to the macro level, we're left with a result that we just cannot reconcile, which is the cat is both alive and dead. Well, I mean, you're making decisions based on that fact is really the derivation of the whole experiment. Well, yeah. Well, in, in the world of quantum mechanics, and when you're designing quantum mechanical systems, you have to operate on the assumption that, like, a qubit is both up and down. And there's a probability of both, but you yeah, you have to assume that it's acting as both up and down until you do something to it. And it's really let's, hard for us to be able to just wrap our heads around that. I struggle with it. Let's hit the next one. Selective reporting of data. Yeah, so that's so like cherry-picking like results. Cherry, yeah, cherry-picking, exactly. Right, so that's it's like just, you, you get certain results. You're not you're not displaying all of them. You're choosing certain results. It's it's like when we give a, a actually a very bad example is a CMA analysis when somebody says how much is my house worth and then we look at everything on the market that's sold for the last ninety or hundred and eighty days and then we actually have to kind of cherry pick the, those results in between you know find out which ones are closest to that listing. But that's that's not a good example of of. I think it science. actually is that's a good example good because you also get to conf- no, you get to conflicts of, of interest too. <laughs> but you can always look at it and say, well, that house is way below value, so I don't want to include this in the CMA report, and you're going to find reasons to throw it out. But well, if yeah, that house had been like... higher than what you wanted it to be, then you'd be like, well, let's find a way of keeping that re- that one in the report. So you and I have a friend that purchased a house at, let's say, 100% market value. The current value of that home is about 94% of market value, yet the Zillow estimate shows at 185% of market value. Well, I'm going to guess that the reason why it's half of what Zillow says it's worth is because it hasn't been maintained. That, well, there's a maintenance issue, but but there's also the the value that's pulling up is not is not data that's kind of congruent with with this listing. It's not data that's similar to the listing. It's just kind of average price per square foot. But when this place is seventy or eighty years old, and the average price per square foot that's selling locally is on homes that are less than ten years old, those homes are driving the property values much further up. So. Somebody might go to my friend and say, hey, your house is, or Zillow might go to my friend and say, hey, your house is worth this much, but that's not reality. Let's hit number 
for 11 here. Unreplicable results. So this is yeah. what we were talking about before of run the experiment over and over <laughs> again to build your data. And if you run the experiment once, you're like, all right, cool, that's it. And then somebody else tries to do your experiment and they can't reproduce it, you got a problem. All right, next one, quick, because we got 30 seconds. And we can go on uh, after Journals and there. citations. So that's going to be like how many people have referenced your study and how much does your study reference previously established work? It, it's yeah. it's all about legitimacy of if you've got a candidate that comes in that has no references and you've got a candidate that comes in with five references and you call them up and they say, yeah, this guy's solid, who are you going to pick if their resumes are equal? All right, we're out of time. We're going to stay on just a couple, just a couple minutes, a little bit longer, but... The goal is that scientific thinking is the goal is to disprove. And uh, on that note, uh, adios to those of you guys who are live. We'll catch you guys next time. I'm going to bail on the Zoom. Uh, all right. We're going to close out a TikTok and the other platforms here tiktok got really fucked my phone overheated a whole bunch of times huh. we got we got like 286 new followers on, on tiktok so that was kind of cool nice uh we got 50 50 likes on tiktok for our live presentation that so that was that was also kind of cool um but but i just you know i want to kind of just circle back real quick on on the idea of science and and scientific thinking because i think I have a lot of issues right now with uh, with how people are thinking, how people are making decisions, how people are jumping to conclusions. And the article yesterday, I didn't send it to you because I had made a conclusion on it. I sent it to you because I thought it was interesting, but also I sent it to you about uh, 70 seconds before I went to sleep. Yeah. No, I think... I'm not saying that you were like buying into the article, but when I read it, I was like, this is actually a really good example of like bad science. Cause it, well, it, when I read it, I, I, I said, oh shit. But because it's written but my to brain, make you do that. but my brain simultaneously said, I need to know what's going on. And uh, then this morning, I, you know, I sent it to you last night. And then this morning, I did a little research, uh, you know, my seven-minute train ride because I, I spend an hour driving and then seven minutes on the train. But during those seven minutes, I get to do a little bit of Googling, so that, that's cool. Um, or I, I have a little bit of time where I'm not doing 95 miles an hour, and I have a little reception so I can answer emails or look things up. So, um, But that was a super alarmist title, and that was, it was really scary, so... Yeah, and it's like I, I'm all I mean, for yeah. us doing things to try and fix the environmental problems we've caused, but I don't want I don't want articles to be out there that make people think the problem is worse than it is, and it delegitimizes like well done studies where people just throw but out that, all science because that's that's, that's the also, conclusion. But that's it's a bit of a, a double edged sword there though because it is a crazy, terrible, fucked up problem. But the, the study, the, the, but we don't have conclusive evidence and data to show that we have some, but we don't have, 
we don't have an overwhelming amount of data. Well, so you, you go to your, you go back your to the boy who cries wolf, which is what like when coronavirus first came out, and like they like the articles were about how like how terrible it would be to get the disease and how like if you get it you're just gonna die and all these like doom and gloom things about how it's going to wipe out like ten percent of the world's population and all this other stuff, and while it was bad and it was something that needed to be addressed at the same time there was alarmist stuff going on out there that made people like, think about the people that were like paranoid to be within 10 feet of somebody else, even if they were wearing a mask, even if they were outside because they were that scared of getting it and how that's an effect of alarmist and exaggerated news articles about the topic where are some precautions wise? Yes. Is there a certain point where you're being ridiculous? Also? Yes. And what pushes people to, like, weird behavior? Generally, it's because they're misinformed. Yeah, and I saw a lot of that shit happening. So on that note, let's uh, let's wrap up. You cool with that? Anything else you want to add before we wrap? Uh, no. Um, I'll tell you that I bought that bike. Oh, no shit. A fucking expensive-ass bike? Yeah, it probably won't even be here for, like, another six weeks, which sucks. Jesus Christ. All right, that's a conversation for off the air. But uh, on that note, we uh, James just bought a badass bike, bicycle. Uh, he's got a badass motorcycle. Uh, but look, guys, uh, we thank you for joining us, and uh, we are going to sign out. So this is Justin DiGiulio saying for James the Bosnia Boswell. All right, if you made it this far, I'm going to assume that you – kind of dug this episode uh, but if you did consider subscribing liking commenting and if you already subscribe and you're like oh i subscribe you know I'm, I'm good you don't comment i know that so uh shoot me uh throw a comment out there uh tag me somewhere let me know you listen to this episode how to think like a scientist and i'll see you guys next time adios i like pbr i just got priced out of it